The reading this evening is from Colossians chapter 3. It can be found on page 1184 of the Church Bibles. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Rules for holy living. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the sermon series over the next few weeks is taken from this book. It's called Battles Christians' Faiths. And um, we're not going to read out the chapters, because that would be a bit boring. You could just read it. But uh, we're going to be preaching on the topics that this book raises. So if you haven't got a copy of this book, I really recommend it. Fairly short chapters, are very readable, very challenging. It's on the bookstall, £6, I think. So do grab those whilst they last Good, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your words. Thank you that we can have confidence this evening that we'll hear your voice. And we pray you give us ears that want to listen and hearts that long to obey and put into practice what we hear. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So thinking about battles Christians face, and tonight we're thinking about image. When someone prepares to show you a photo or shows you a photo of an event that you are at, What's the first thing you think? You think, where am I? Don't you? And you probably know that gut-sinking moment where you see you in the photo and it, you look awful. You look absolutely awful. And you think, why? And it, your feeling of dread is compounded when you get home and they've put it on Facebook or Instagram and tagged you in it. And a little part of you dies. You think, ugh. Do you untag yourself? That's the question, isn't it? Uh, we live in a culture where we're obsessed with image. Uh, and that's not really surprising, is it? Uh, stick, thin, glamorous celebrities uh, with their Photoshop bodies and their ripped six-packs are paraded before us as the definition of attractive. Uh, pop stars surrounded by their they're teams of assistants, of makeup artists, wardrobe assistants, who meticulously prepare them for every 
public appearance. They're the standard by which the rest of us mere mortals are judged. Advertisers don't sell us a product, they sell us an image that we'll have if we own or use or wear their product. Drink Fosters and you're a real lad. Drive a Mercedes, you'll ooze wealth and class. Shop at Waitrose and you're not one of the riffraff. Wear links and the beautiful girls will come running. Eat Special K and the pounds will drop off you. Horrible stuff. Use aerial washing powder and you'll be a good mum. Buy your insurance through Money Supermarket and you'll feel epic. (laughs) Advertisers sell us an image, don't they? So there's an image that we can have in our own eyes of ourselves, or an image that others can perceive us to have. Vaughan Roberts in his book defines image as this, my image is my chosen identity, how I want to think of myself and how I want others to see me. I'm just going to spend a bit of time exploring that definition. Firstly then, our image, by the way, you've got a handout on the back of your notice sheet, not all the points are up on the... um, the PowerPoint, so it might be helpful to follow along in the handout. Firstly then, our image is the way we view ourselves. Someone else I read this week defined self-image as this, the evaluation that a person makes of themselves in comparison to some standard, or the way they have come to think about themselves habitually. In other words, we define ourselves in relation to others until eventually a way of thinking becomes habitual. I'm quite clever. I'm not very attractive. I don't like the shape of my body. I'm successful. That's not me, by the way. That's just what people say. Well, you decide for yourself. This is who I am. Secondly, our image is the way we project ourselves onto others. When you arrive at a new place, when you start at university or start a new job or join a group. We have to make a decision about how we're going to project ourselves. How do I want people to see me? What things do I want to hide from people? It's why on social media we only put up the good stuff. Social media is so deceptive. It's not real life. It's just carefully selected snapshots of our life. It's our life as we want to portray it to others. It's how we want to be seen. And the reason we're so concerned about our image is because we look to our image to give us identity, value, and security. Why do kids want fidget spinners? They play with them for three days and then they're forgotten about. Why do some people spend tens of pounds more on one t-shirt, which is exactly the same as another one, but it's just got a little logo, a brand. Well, because what we wear, the accent we speak with, the car we drive, the newspaper we read, the job we do, the house we live in, the things we own, are all perceived to be something by which we are defined. It's who I am things that give us status, things that give us value in the eyes of ourselves or in the eyes of others. And we all want to be valuable, don't we? We all want to be included. 
because we all want to feel secure. But of course, this type of thinking results in a very fragile view of self and a fragile dependence on others. What happens to our image, our identity, our value when we lose our looks or our job or we fail an exam or we can no longer afford to buy the latest stuff? What happens when you can't live up to your own standards, let alone anyone else's? We're left feeling fragile, insecure. And so, of course, in order to boost our self-image, we need the affirmation of others. When we post something on Facebook or Instagram, we keep checking it, don't we? We want to see how many people have liked it, how many people have commented. We crave the approval of others. We all do it in different ways, or many of us do it anyway. And that can mean that we're tempted to use and manipulate others in order to boost our ego, to feel good about ourselves. We play to the crowds, try to blend in, hide the bits of life we know won't be popular. And our dependence on others leaves us fragile. Now, given all this going on in our hearts and the world's obsession with image, it's important that we spend a bit of time looking at what the Bible has to say about image. And funnily enough, we find it in the very first chapter of God's Word. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1. Our image is bestowed. That's given to us by God. The verses are on the screen See, in these verses we see that our our image is, is given to us. God makes humanity in his image. We're mirrors, mirrors that reflect God's character as we rule over God's world together, living under his rule. This image of God in us is our identity. It's what defines us, it's what sets us apart from animals, it's what gives us value. And because our image, this image, our identity and value were received from God, they're fixed. Adam and Eve's value and identity wasn't dependent on how they felt about themselves or how they felt about each other. It was entirely outside of themselves, it was bestowed upon them. And as a result, they feel secure before God and before others. No one could diminish their value. No one could add to it. They had had nothing to prove to anyone. But sadly, as we all know, this security didn't last long. Because as a result of the sin, of our sin, our image is distorted and marred. And we see the consequences, or some of the consequences of that, in Genesis 3, 7 to 11. And what we see is that Adam and Eve were not content to live in relationship with God under his rule. They wanted to be like him. They aspired for something more than they'd been given. And as a, re- as a result, they reject God's rule and they reject relationship with God. And therefore, humanity no longer images God as it should. We no longer reflect him as we should. We're like a mirror. We're like a mirror that we're supposed to be, but the mirror's been dropped. And it's still in one piece, but it's all shattered. 
It's broken. And so now when you look at humanity, you can vaguely make out the, the God who made them. But the image is distorted and marred. And the consequences is people like you and I no longer recognize our image. We no longer recognize our identity and value that God has bestowed upon us. Instead, humanity searches and strives to earn identity, to find identity, to earn value. We try to manufacture it in all the different ways we talked about at the beginning, boosting our image in any way we can. But it's fluid and fragile. It can be so easily lost, and so the striving never stops. And so consequently, and you see it in these verses, humanity now feels vulnerable and ashamed before others. Adam and Eve hide from God. And they realize they're naked. That was never an issue before, but now they realize they're naked and they're, they're embarrassed because they feel exposed. And see, we want to cover up don't we? we want to use social media and other things to cover up our shame. We no longer have security. Now all this we've just looked at in Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 provides the background for these wonderful verses in Colossians 3 that we've had read for us this evening. Because in Colossians 3 we realise that our image is received and renewed in Christ. You've got a couple of references on your handouts, um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Colossians 1.15. We haven't got time to turn to those, but what we see in those verses is that Christ recreates humanity. Faith in Christ leads to a, a recreation. We're reborn. And he can do that because he is the perfect image of God. Colossians 1.15. And Christ is everything that humanity was supposed to be. The perfect, blameless human takes the death penalty that we deserve in order that we might be restored to the people we were supposed to be. People made in his image, secure in our identity and value. And what we see in Colossians 3, 1-4 is Paul outlining that new status and identity for those who are in Christ. Look at verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Like, like a Russian doll that covers up, that clothes the doll, the smaller doll inside. So Christ hides us in him. We're still us, we're still the people that God made us, but we're now clothed in Christ. The Christian is in Christ, their identity is in him. And therefore, wherever Christ goes, we go. That's what we see in verses 1 to 4, isn't it? Verse 1 to 2, we are raised with Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms, with him at God's right hand. And verse 4, when Christ appears, when he returns again in glory, he'll bring us with him. Think, think about going on an airplane to try and uh, get somewhere. You want to go on holiday. If you want to get somewhere, you can't just stand and, and look at the plane 
admire it from a distance, think, oh, what a lovely plane. You can't uh, cling to the outside of the plane and hope that's enough. If you want to get to your destination, you've got to be in it. You've got to entrust your life to that piece of machinery and its pilots. Only when you're in the plane can you get to where you want to go. Only if we are in Christ can we get to enjoy what he enjoys, to go where he goes. Because look, verse 4, Christ is your life. If you're a Christian here this evening, then your life is now defined by him. Uh, Who are you? Well, your life is in Christ. Christ is your identity. You've been clothed in him. In Christ, our relationship with God has been restored. And therefore, the image of God in us has been restored. That shattered mirror has been remade to reflect God. We're remade into the people that we were supposed to be, truly human. And think about what that means for us. It means that we, we now have image. An image that reflects God, which means we have value. Security, identity. But that image now is not earned. It's not something we strive for. It's something we receive. It's something we're given. Christ's value is our value. Christ's security is our security. Christ's identity is our identity. And therefore our shame before God and others is removed. There is no shame anymore. And so there is nothing more we can do. There is nothing we can add and nothing that can be taken away from us, from our identity, value and security. In Christ you have it all. You are as loved and valued as you could possibly be. But... But, of course, what we have in Christ, this status of Colossians 3, 1-4, is not yet fully realised, is it? We still live in our earthly bodies. And though our status, our identity, our value has been transformed, our minds and our bodies still battle sin. And so Paul says, verse 2, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, think about what you are, or think about who you are in Christ, and let that shape how you live. And as you do that, God is committed to renewing his image in you. Do you see that in verse 10? Our new self, that's the new identity, new creation in Christ, is being renewed in the image of its creator. God is going to change us into the people that he has already declared us to be. We're being renewed, restored into God's image. Vaughan Roberts um, really helpfully at the end of his chapter sums up what all this means for us with this. He says this, We are not to create our own identity, but are called to receive a new identity in Christ. We are not to construct our own image, but rather to cooperate with God in his great work 
of restoring us to his image. And Paul spends the rest of these verses helping the Colossians to see what that looks like. Just look down with me at verses 5 to 9. They are to put off the old self. They're to put to death who they were. Because sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. Well, they all belong to the way you used to live. The person you used to be. That's not who you are anymore. You are now with Christ in him, hidden in him. And so now we are to set our minds on things above. We're to focus on who we are in Christ. Putting to death our old self and clothing ourselves with Christ. Uh, This is a picture of um, the moment Cristiano Ronaldo was unveiled as a Real Madrid player. I mean, look at the size of the crowd. It's ridiculous. This isn't a game. This is just him being uh, paraded as a new Real Madrid signing. Thousands of thousands of fans come to welcome him. And there he is standing in all his splendor in his new Real Madrid kit. Uh, What he wears reflects who he is now. Uh, Imagine he turned up to this uh, grand parading announcement and he had his Man United kit on. Can you imagine? Of, of course he wouldn't do that because that's not who he is anymore. He doesn't belong to Man United. He belongs to Real Madrid. And so he wears the clothes that reflects who he now is. And so Paul wants us to put to death our old self and to dress in a way that reflects who we are now. So look at verse 12. Our new identity is, verse 12, as those who are God's chosen people. Holy, dearly loved. And therefore we are to be compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, loving. And God is committed to renewing this image in us. This is the image of God's that he wants us to pursue. Nothing else. We're not to create our own identity, but are called to receive a new identity in Christ. We are not to construct our own image, but rather to cooperate with God in his great work of restoring us in his image. I wonder, let me ask you a question. Tonight, this week, are you striving to reflect an image more in line with your old self or your new self? Whose image do you want to project to the world? Vaughan Roberts uh, quotes John Stott uh, in his book as well, and he says this, this was when John Stott was uh, older in years, I am sometimes asked, perhaps in a newspaper or radio interview, whether at my age I have any ambitions left, I always now reply, yes. My overriding ambition and is, and trust will, always, will be until I die, that I may become a bit more like Christ. What a great ambition. 
I wonder what you're living for this evening. Uh, an image that is acceptable before the world? Or an image, well, the image that you are made to have, that Christ has given you, your new self remade in him? That's the challenge of Colossians 3 as we think about our image. As we uh, draw to a close, then let me finish with three uh, challenges. And the first is this. Let who you are in Christ shape your view of yourself. There is no standards to which you need to compare yourself. The only standard that matters is God's. And as Clive mentioned at the beginning, you fall miserably short of that standard. You are a sinner. You, you cannot reach the standard that God requires you of, of you. But Christ has reached the standard for you. Christ has done what you could never do. And as a result, he has remade you in his image. He's given you a new identity, a value and security. So let me plead with you this evening, please don't view yourself in any other way than somebody that God delights in. Somebody God loves. Somebody that has received God's grace, that has covered over your sin and made you a saint. Made you to be restored in the image of God. So let who you are in Christ shape how you view yourself. But secondly, let who you are in Christ shape how you project yourself to others. See, in Christ there is no need for shame before others. There is nothing that anyone else can add to your identity or to your value. You do not need others' approval. And so that frees us, doesn't it? It frees us to be able to project ourselves honestly to others. It means that we can allow people to see the mess, to see the failure, to see the sin. It frees us to be you. Allow people to see God's transforming grace in your life because you have nothing to prove. Be your new self not your old self, before others. And thirdly and finally, let who you are in Christ shape how you view others. Just look down with me at verse 11. You see, we see in verse 11 that uh, in Christ the dividing lines between people are removed. In Christ we are one. So Paul says, don't look down on other people to make yourself feel better about who you are and don't look up don't look up to other people and feel disqualified because compared to them you just fall so far short Christ is all and is in all and so being restored in the image of God made redeemed to be this new self means that we can look to love and serve rather than to use 
and manipulate others. And so this evening, Paul says to us, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What's your image? Who are you? Well, it's not who you, how you define yourself. It's not how the world defines you. It's how Christ defines you. That's everything. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these verses that remind us of our wonderful new status in Christ. And we pray, with the help of your spirits, that you would help us to put to death what belongs to our old nature and to clothe ourselves with Christ, to live out who we are in him, that we might reflect your image to the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.